Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, we are so grateful that you've joined us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. One more time, I'm John Russin. I serve as the host and I'm here with my partner in crime, my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you today, my friend? It's a pretty good day in South Louisiana, John. Summer is here. Uh, love helps you know you're alive because you sweat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, there's, uh, there was no sweat in the garden, brother. And no, so I guess we can sure. conclude that this is not a garden. That's right. <laughs> and God doesn't want sweaty Christians. That's right. right. We're for dressed in linen. <laughs> That's right. And and uh, friends, if you've just joined us, if this is your first episode, you've caught Frank and me uh, right at the very beginning of our series on Paul's epistle to the Colossians, uh, where we're just sort of talking our way through the chapters and the verses. And why did we choose Colossians? Well, because Frank and I honestly are in love with Jesus. And there is, in our opinion, no better place to go to highlight the preeminence and sufficiency of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we invite you with us today to unpack what the scripture has for us. And Frank, mm -hmm. we're going to begin today with a little bit of a summary. Now, you may recall, I know you're old, so your memory's failing, but you may <laughs> recall, <laughs> that's why I have to keep notes, that we've talked about so far in the, in the epistle to the Colossians, we began with the Apostle Paul's heart for the believers in Colossae. They're really strangers, and he heard about them while he was in prison. And, uh, but as you read this letter, we've already seen that his heart is knit to them already. He talked about praising them for their faith and their love of the brethren. He started to pray for them. But remember, Frank, we talked about his prayer. It wasn't just to lift up his concerns, to make a laundry list, so to speak, and lift them all up to the Father. But he prayed for not their list of needs, but their greatest need, which was to know the love of God better. And of course, last time we spoke about the preeminence of Christ in creation because it's this Jesus who made the universe. He has my back. And today we're going to talk about what that looks like in the face of redemption, the preeminence of Christ in redemption. And Frank, today we're beginning with verses 18 to 20. And I'd like to read that little passage once again in my current favorite version, the English Standard. And in this section, Frank, he is going to shift from the physical, the creation, the heavens and the earth, to the spiritual. And he says this, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. And by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So my goodness, Frank, when I read through this 
introduction. This is the guy who created the universe. He holds it all together. This same one, he's the head of the body, man. He's the head of the church. Frank, what an incredible introduction. So what do you see as the tie-in between the creator and the head of the church? Why is that metaphor used there? Oh, John, you know, if we look at our physical body, which, of course, Paul does in some detail in the book of 1 Corinthians, where we're told that we are the body of Christ, uh, a body is nothing without a head, because the head is the source, and also the head is the authority. It's the command center of the body, the brain. It, it guides and controls everything. So John, this is an absolutely amazing passage. I was listening to you read it and I'm just thinking, my goodness, we could spend weeks on these three verses. Oh, yeah. And you know, when you said the context of the creator, it simply gives us an amazing insight into who God is and how he works because he created, and we read that it was by him and for him, and yet this creation rebelled against him. He made man in his own image, and that was so that man could live in God, from God, with God. You know, Paul captured it in the book of Acts, the God in whom we live and move and have our very being. And yet this little ant decided to say, I'm going to cast off God. God at that point could have squashed those two like factory rejects. <laughs> That's right. Start it over. Start over. But he doesn't. He goes after his creation. The moment we fell, he promises a redeemer. And then later he makes a covenant about this redeemer. And all a covenant is, is a guaranteed promise, a protected promise that he's going to redeem. And he does by dying. You know, when I see in this, John, remember the old hymn, Oh, love that will not let me go. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's God. He loves with a tenacious, feisty, if you will, uh, a love that's not going to be denied. And oh, he no. says, I'm going to see my creation restored. I'm going to see my creation come home. And of course, that doesn't mean that he's going to violate our will and make it happen, but he's going to make a way for us to have the choice to come home. And what an amazing demonstration, manifestation, maybe set the record straight about who he is and how much he loves us. Oh, my goodness, Frank, you have nailed it on the head. I look at this passage, and if I were introducing a speaker at a conference, you know, I spent a lot of years at university life, so I've spoken and put on a lot of conferences. I would take the highlights of the speaker's resume and say, this person has done A, B, C, D, E, and now they're here today to talk to us about this, and ooh, ah, how impressive. And so I tend to look at this passage as, this is the resume of our big brother Jesus, of our savior, of our creator. He mm. 
He created all those billions and billions and trillions and gazillions of stars. And oh yeah, by the way, that same person who did all this is, is now my head, my source, my ability, my power, my strength, my wisdom, all of this resource is now available to me. And so I look at this and go, now I really understand why Jesus said in John 15, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing because mm. you cut a head off a body, man. The body is, it's just, it, it does nothing without that source, without that head, nothing, nothing happens. Mm. Wow. It's amazing how he's revealed himself. And I think sometimes that we have kind of like an Indy 500 syndrome approach to God, you know, where, you know, there it went by us and we missed it. And maybe it's by design. I don't know. But, you know, we start out in our Christian life, recognizing that he's our savior. We needed a savior. That's what brought us to him in the first place. You know, we got a revelation of ourselves and our sinful state and, We had that nagging conscience and the convicting work of the spirit that wouldn't let us go. And and we realized we were in trouble and dead and we needed help. And so we found him as a savior. And then we kind of grow in our Christian life and recognize, oh, my goodness, the one who saved me is the creator God of the universe. And so I recognize that he's my Lord And, but then hopefully as we move on, we start to understand that he wanted to be so much more than just a savior and a Lord. He wanted to be our very life. As you know, Paul will tell us later in this book in chapter three, Christ is our life. He'll tell us in Romans five that he saves us with his life. And that's a revelation, I think, to most Christians, you know, we think I was saved by his death. Yeah, that's how you got saved. But he offers to save you with his life to save you from yourself and your own resources, which contrary to your false understanding that you were as God, we don't have all that many resources. Oh, gosh. No, but we, we think we, we do. Oh, yeah. That's oh, that gosh. lie of the enemy. Yeah, we think we do. And listening to you talk, I can't help but, uh, but follow my mind as it drifts back in time. And uh, things that we've done ourselves and things we've seen others do where we sit down for a prayer meeting. And this is often how I remember it happening. We get an idea. We develop a plan, we assemble a team, and then we say, okay, let's pray. And let's pray (laughs) for God to bless all this, (laughs) Mm. you know? And when it fails, we don't know why. We checked all the boxes. We prayed, right? God didn't come through. You know, maybe he can't be trusted. Maybe I'm full of sin. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And so we miss the point, Frank, that you laid out so plainly earlier that he is the source, You know, he Mm. is the source, you know, Psalm 37, when we delight in the Lord, Mm. when he is our focus exclusively, he will place in us the desires in our heart. So that it's almost like a a prerequisite, isn't it? That intimacy Mm. that you referenced, that intimacy 
before we can really say, wow, I really want to do this. And I believe it's from God because I, I feel him. I, I can sense him. I trust him, his life in me. But my goodness, Frank, you and I have both seen over the years so many times when the church has gotten the cart before the horse when it comes to prayer and projects, haven't we? Oh, yeah. It's like you said, bless our plans instead of saying, <laughs> Lord, what's your plan? You know, it's interesting, too, John. I see in these verses that I said it earlier, God sets the record straight. Not only do we have a false understanding of who we are, we think we're a lot more capable than we are. You know, remember Paul said, there's nothing in us that's adequate unless it's from God. But we also got a false understanding of God in so many ways. You know, we let other people and the enemy and Renaissance art tell us what God is like. Oh, yes, yes. And it's almost, I think of what he said in Jeremiah you know, remember when the Israelites have been deported and they were there almost 70 years and they're saying these prophets coming along that God has abandoned us and he's going to go get a different people instead of us. And and God finally says, I've had enough of this. Let me speak for myself. <laughs> Let me tell you who I am and what I'm like. And he tells them at that point, I have a plan for you. It's good. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to bring you to an appointed end. And I almost see Colossians 1 here being the same kind of thing. Let me tell you about myself. I'm the head of this body, the church. This church was made through my resurrection, which came from my death across because I wanted you back. Oh, my goodness, John, to think, you know, sometimes I think we come to Christ and we go, Oh, Lord, please take me back. But it, from his perspective, it's, I want you back. Yeah, I want you home. I'm tired of you missing out on all that I've wanted to do for you. I am your supply. You know, I used to teach with this guy up in the Northeast, John, and he had written a book and it was called The Supplied Life. And boy, I love that title. God wants to supply us with his life. Wonderful. Wow. It's, uh, it's really cool. But you know, Frank, when I'm listening to you talk and I, I think about us, God supplying us with his life and all we need through Jesus, it's so easy to get off track. And I know many times people do. They get off track and they think that, well, all I have to do is, is cultivate intimacy with God and then all of the loose ends in my life are going to fall into place. And I'm going to just be clicking on all eight <laughs> cylinders. And, you know, God is on such a big agenda, my friend. You know, and, and his ultimate agenda, now that we have his life, is to use that life fruitfully in us to conform us into the image of his son. And what, what did Jesus, what did our big brothers do? He learned obedience through suffering. And Frank, as much as we don't like to say it, mm. that's really our path too, isn't it? Mm. It's an unpopular <laughs> path, but it's, un it's unpopular, but it is so necessary. Well, you know, when you said it, I expect everything to fall into place and function on all eight cylinders. And my first thought was, did it, was it like that for Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> you know, certainly not. We are life in a world of death. We are light in a world of darkness. And that means conflict. 
it's not an easy road. It's a, an arduous, I think, you know, Paul called it the agony of faith. But, you know, uh, and you were talking about the ultimate agenda is being conformed to his image. There was a guy up in the Northeast, his name was Herman. And he's with the Lord now, but he made this statement years ago. He said, God will allow into our lives whatever is necessary to maximize our potential to manifest the kingdom of his dear son. Yeah, whatever it takes. Wow. Maximize potential. Right. Wow. Huge. <laughs> it certainly is. And I, I go back to the words of Jesus when he spoke to his apostles, disciples at that point. And he says, hey, the, world, the world's going to hate you, but be of good cheer. They hated me first. And mm -hmm. so this hate, you know, if our source, if our head is hated by the world, our path is really no different, is it, my friend? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, John, when I look at that word head, you know, it's certainly supply. But here's the other interesting thing. So we can look to other supplies you know, other sources and miss him, but it's also the idea of authority. And I think what happens is when we recognize that he is our source, when he, we recognize that he is the head, then we have to bring our lives into alignment with him. And a failure to do that means we will miss him, just as if we were looking to another source. I think that's why Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That wasn't a so much a do this, so much as it is an understanding of where life and love are really found. And when you find life and love, then you'll order your life into whatever is necessary to continue to receive that life and that love. So I love the way he puts it in the first, that verse 18. He should have the first place in everything, everything. That is one powerful word, John, everything. Oh you know, our dear friend, Steve Pettit, and he makes this statement quite often. God did not come to make us successful in anything, but sacrificial in everything as we yield to him who is our head. Wow. It puts a little different spin on the victorious Christian life, doesn't it, Frank? <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, friends. That is the first part of Jesus' resume, okay? He's the head. Let's continue. He's the beginning, the mm. firstborn from the dead, okay? Let's chew on that for a while, Frank. I'm going to throw out Revelation 1. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. What's Paul mean when he talks about the beginning, Again, it goes back to source. You know, he was the creator. I, I think back to when it says not anything was created that was not created by him. I think it says that in Romans, doesn't it, John? Is it in Romans? But he created everything. So nothing exists apart from him. He's the source. But when man rebelled and stepped into death instead of life, and the love of God says, nope, that's not going to be the end of the story. My story is going to be the story. Then he comes as man, mind-boggling, Philippians chapter 2. He empties himself of his function as God 
to come and live as man. Oh my goodness. To live among us, to be the one who would conquer the grave so that when he resurrected again, he becomes source. It's almost like, you know, I look at this verse, John, it's almost like he's saying, you know, you rebelled against me being source way back in Genesis. I'm going to give you a chance to have me as source again. Wow. Yeah. So he's the firstborn from the dead. And so being the kind of guy I am, Frank, I took a dive into that. And I actually tracked down all the places in scripture where somebody came back from the dead. Of course, uh, it happened with Elijah once. It happened with Elisha twice. It's even cool. <laughs> After he was dead, <laughs> somebody spirit. laid on his Double bones. Portion. Somebody laid yeah. on his bones and he came back to life. <laughs> of course, Jesus raised three people. And who knows how many saints came alive after Jesus resurrected Peter uh, mm -hmm. in Acts 9, Paul in Acts 20. But all these people presumably died again. Yes, that's there's the key, only John. one that's a firstborn, a preeminent, never to die again because he's now not in the grave. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated right there mm -hmm. at the right hand of the Father. So this firstborn from the dead is an important title, isn't it, Frank? Oh, my goodness. You know, as I was listening to you, I was thinking about poor old Lazarus. You know, there you are, you die, and you're not in heaven, but you're in Abraham's bosom, you know, the place called paradise. And then Jesus says, get back out here into this <laughs> sin cursed world, son. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a resurrection that wasn't really so much uh, appreciated, I think, in yeah. some senses. So you're exactly right. Those guys all died again. But Jesus is a resurrection into life that never dies, into quality of life, the very life of God, eternal life. And that's what he came to when he conquered the grave. And, you know, John, that's what we get to receive right now. We don't have to wait for it. Uh, we enter into eternal life right now, resurrection life right now. And we get to experience it right now. And then one day, when we physically die, we get to shed any hindrance that is keeping us from fully experiencing the resurrection life we already have, all because he was the first born from the dead unto eternal life. That's right. Wow. You know, beautiful. And when I look at the term firstborn, we talked about this last time. We talked about, you know, it means supremacy and authority mm. and headship. And my mind runs to Hebrews 2. Uh, that through his death, he destroyed the one who holds the power of death. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy that our Savior Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so not only did he ascend into heaven, never to die again, but he accomplished that critical component that as far as believers are concerned, he has abolished death. So even though we might slip from this earthly life, we do not slip into death. We are raised immediately through that life to be in his presence. And then he destroyed the one who holds the power of death. So the enemy who will wave the fear of death in front of everybody, the weakness of our own mentality, we don't have to believe that. We don't have to be afraid of that anymore because he 
has been destroyed. The last enemy, death, has been destroyed as far as mm. we're concerned. My goodness. How exciting is that? Whoa. I've, that mm. makes me want to be a preacher, preacher. Well, you know, remember Jesus said in that same chapter with Lazarus, he who believes in me will never die, though he die, yet shall he live. It's really just an instantaneous change of address. And that's why the gospel is called good news. You know, it's an announcement of something that has been finished, completed, done. And now it's on all the major news stations. Look what happened. Look what God has done. No wonder we're told he should have the first place. That's right. Premier. Hmm. Okay, my friend, he is the head of the body. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. But this is not just a, a laundry list of accomplishments. They have a purpose. And Paul writes here that the purpose of all these is that in all things, he might have preeminence well now we've talked about this mm. in, in the in light of the firstborn but you know as i look at this passage from this week in the last episode i say my goodness every base is covered with regard to jesus he created everything he holds it all together he's superior to every other spirit being out there he's the head of the church and now this very last enemy, he has conquered death. And I say, my goodness, no matter how I look at it, Jesus is the pinnacle. He's the peak. He's the capstone. He's, he's sovereign. He's above all. Any place you look, he's there. And so I, I look at all this stuff, Frank, and there's a reason why Paul is going through all this, because these people are confused about mm. Jesus there, you know, we'll find out later on in a few chapters that they're involved with angel worship. They don't know who God is. They come out of a pagan culture and he is doing everything he can to put Jesus on the very top of the pyramid. So that no matter which side you look up, you see him at the very peak. My goodness. Wow. Mm. You know, John, I think there's a corollary and Philippians when he talks about how Jesus came as man and then died and then was raised. And it's really, I think, pertinent that he says this. He says, therefore, because of who he is, what he did, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And watch this, to the glory of God the Father. His name is the name above every name. He did something that God couldn't do. Everybody always asks, is there anything God can't do? Yeah, there's a lot of things. He could never violate his character. He could never violate his written word. He can't lie. John, one thing God could never do was God can't die. Yeah. The only way he could die is if he became man. So Jesus did what God could not do. He came as man so that he could die. And so now his name is exalted. You know, that's why we should never, ever use his name in, in a 
cursory way or in a, in a swearing kind of way. And then I love the fact that he adds to the glory of the father. I think in the sense that, you know, the father, I think it's revealed in scripture that it was his plan, but all of them, of course, were in the plan. But I think ultimately it's in the sense that the father gave up his son to do that. Um, I think the picture in Genesis with Abraham, uh, go off for up your son. Uh, I think there's in Abraham a sense that he, he knew that's what God was going to do with his son. It's just mind boggling, John, to think that this is the kind of love God has for us, a love that will give up its life to die for the object of its love. And if that doesn't stun someone into honor and worship and praise, then they don't have ears to hear. That's right. One last thought, Frank, and we're going to finish up this section. And Paul wraps up this section on the supremacy, the preeminence, uh, the firstborn status of Jesus by saying this, in him, in Jesus, dwells all fullness. So I want to wrap up our time together, Frank, by unpacking the, that thought about the fullness of God wrapped up in Jesus. I don't speak Greek, but I looked up this word. It's the word pleroma, and it means an overabundance, uh, at capacity. No more is possible to add. So this is what Jesus Christ has in him. There's nothing more we can add to Jesus. There's nothing more he can do in the created universe, in us, for us. There's nothing left. He is full. The entire package, the entire plan that Father has for us is fully unfolded. And so this word fullness just makes me go, my goodness. There's nothing more to do except say, yes, sir. Paul loves this word. He used it twice mm -hmm. in Colossians, but he used it four times in Ephesians. So, Mr. Mm -hmm. Greek scholar, uh, talk <laughs> to us about fullness, pleroma. Mm. Again, I was going to bring that up, that he, he was very fond of this phrase. <laughs> he want, he, God, the Holy Spirit, really wants us to understand who Jesus is. You know, the, so often in the world, you hear the world, boy, he was such a good man, but they don't believe that he resurrected from the dead. Well, you're not a good man if you lied. <laughs> you know, you're not a good man if you pulled a hoax over people. I think there was one guy who wrote a book and basically said he's either a liar, a lunatic or Lord, and he is Lord. And that's what Paul always wanted to get across. This is God in a body, the fullness of God in a body. And it goes even beyond that, I think, to the Holy Spirit that came upon him because he chose to function as man. So he's kind of the archetype, the paving of the road for us in terms of how we're going to live because of the way he lived. He lived a life full of God within him, experienced by him and expressed through him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's not a, just a good man. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good example. He's 
the fullness of God in a body. And it's mind boggling to ponder that thought, John. It is. You know, it, uh, it makes me think about uh, his words to his uh, disciples when he said, hey, if you've seen me, you've already seen the Father. Uh, mm. I, everything that the Father has is wrapped up in me. Mm. And it, it, it makes that verse really get a whole lot richer in my mind when I think mm. of that in context of, of uh, Colossians chapter 1. Yeah, and in Hebrews, he says the same thing. He's the express image of the Father. You can't add anything to Jesus that you missed in the Father, anything like that. He is the express image. And you know, John, in that passage you quoted in John 14, he, his answer to them is, if you can't believe what I've spoken, my lips, believe the life. You know, if you can't believe the words that, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, then believe the works. He said, because they're the works of the Father. So John, you know, when we look at this, we could say, who fed the 5,000? Well, we would say Jesus did. That's exactly right. He did. But he would say the Father did it through him, which is exactly right, too. <laughs> so Jesus did the feeding of the 5,000, but it was the father doing it through him. So who fed the 5,000, the father or the son? Yes, it was both. And that becomes, you know, the economy in which we live because he is the head, he's the source, and he's going to do his works in us. And so we're going to be able to follow the exact same game plan that he followed. Right. And, you know, that's why Jesus said, I think, John, greater works will we do and that's not that we're going to do greater in terms of uh, quality but i think greater in terms of quantity because his life will be manifested in millions of believers millions of lovers millions of forgivers uh, millions of kindness all because the fullness of god dwelt in his body first wow wow well, that sounds like a perfect wrap-up phrase, my friend. So thank you for that insight. And friends, you've been listening to Frank and John on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Thank you so much for joining. We trust that our, our little chat today about the preeminence, supremacy, and the kind of fullness of Jesus has touched your heart today. Mm. We invite you to check out our website, ourresolutehope.com. We've got a whole bunch of resources there, some newsletters, including one of our most recent ebooks, which is uh, Learning Obedience Through Suffering. We've talked about that a little bit today. So there's an ebook there that we think will bless you. Please, if you come on our website, pop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, uh, follow us on all of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And as always, we close with the same reminder from Hebrews chapter 6 that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope in his first epistle. We call it a resolute hope. So today and always, choose that hope. Choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you, as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels 
under the name Our Resolute Hope.